You are now entering Frida's world. Join us as we address various issues facing women of color in the workplace. We'll help you navigate your professional and personal life the Frida way. It's Frida's world. Classy and ratchet at the same time. You clash it. Like you love church music, but you f with future. That's clash It's Frida's world. Welcome back, everyone, for another episode of Frida's World. Happy Wednesday. Happy hump day. And as always, I hope you guys are having a wonderful, wonderful week so far. So this week, I have a, another very special guest by the name of Jamie Bowles. She is the CEO and founder of WJMS Radio. She is a full-time employee at another institution, and she is a cancer warrior. She is currently fighting cancer. And those of you who have followed Frida's World, um, I know you've heard her name a couple times. I've spoken about her with respect to her being the Frida Woman of the Month. I believe it was sometime earlier this year or late last year. And I think on the last episode, my highlight of the week, um, I had mentioned being able to support her at the Free to Breathe Lung Cancer Walk that took place in Brooklyn um, about what, maybe almost a week and a half now. So today she's going to come on the show. She is going to talk a little bit about her journey and her present experience fighting cancer while, you know, going to work full time and on the side, owning and operating a radio station, uh, being an avid kickboxer and just dispelling some of the myths that people hold when it comes to, um, you know, cancer warriors and whatnot. So you definitely want to keep it locked. Um, but before we get into the meat of the show, you know, I always like to share my highlight of the week. And so this week's highlight for me is that I'm alive <laughs> and that I'm breathing and I'm able to maneuver. And a lot of times we take that for granted, especially when we have, you know, little health issues here and there. It's not until you are at the brink of kind of, you know, being unhealthy that you're like, man, I'm so thankful that I'm able to actually move around. And so um, last week, when I record the show, I remember saying that I wasn't feeling well, which seems to be the theme for the last couple of shows. But um, on the th on the Thursday, so the day after I released the episode, I had done a CT scan um, of my abdomen, pelvic area, whatever. And so right now I am cur currently reporting to you fighting a colon infection. So there's like always something going on. I really don't understand it sometimes. But, um, you know, every time I'm, I'm like, I don't feel, I don't feel well. Half the time, I like to think that it's in my head. I liked, I would love to believe that I'm just imagining these things because nobody really wants to be dealing with actual ailments. Um, but no, this time it's not in my head. As you, It's never really in my head. I just want to think it's in my head because I'm kind of tired <laughs> of going of going to the doctor and like just being not healthy. Uh, but I'm currently um, dealing with a colon infection here. That should clear up soon. Hopefully I'm on some heavy antibiotics, but you know, I, I react to medication in ways that a lot of people don't, you know, when they talk about side effects and like, you know, one out of like 15 people, one out of a hundred people, I'm usually the one out of. So 
as you know, although it was supposed to be a smoother transition, you know, it's 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 just an infection. Um, it's internal, but the side effects are killing me. These antibiotics are crazy. Now I I really understand why people are just like anti, you know, pharma because these things are really killing you. So either way, hopefully I have just a couple more days left of this treatment and hopefully, you know, everything will be fine. Um, but I say all that to say this, my highlight of the week is that it could have, it could have been worse. And, you know, as I'm on this journey of trying to be more positive on a day to day, um, on a day to day and not allowing little things to knock me down, um, even in the slightest, uh, this too shall pass. (laughs) And I'm just thankful that I'm actually able to, you know, maneuver and make it to work because I don't really have sick days. My PTO (laughs) is quite interesting. Um, but I can only imagine the many people who, you know, have illnesses, who just don't feel well, who are going through things, who are not able to go to work. I mean, I feel like it's a blessing in that, that you're still able to move around even when you don't feel well. You still are able to do what you got to do. There are a lot of people out there that are not doing well and would love to be able to attempt to make it to work so that they can get paid. But because of whatever they're going through, they're forced to be home and they are forced to live, you know, unpaid. And we all know how expensive life is and how expensive, especially if you live in New York City area, that is missing one day of work and not getting paid for it is enough to like set you on the path of homelessness. So um, just thinking about that and just, you know, seeing the silver lining in all things that, you know, even when I'm not feeling well, I am I have the ability to still get to work and to still get paid, <laughs> um, you know, paid. So either way, that is my highlight of the week. I'm trying to think of if there's anything else I should say before we move on to the meat of the show. There is one thing for those of you who are tuning in. Um, and I, <laughs> I am in Instagram jail currently because I was trying to unfollow and just, you know, really clear the clutter in my Instagram. And apparently um, Instagram, whoever the owners and operators are, feel felt as if I was, I don't know, acting up, doing too much. So I'm currently in jail. So if you're trying to text, you know, DM me um and I'm not responding or if you're like, hey, you know, she used to like my pictures and I'm not getting any likes, what's going on here? I have not unfollowed you. I'm just currently um indisposed at the moment. And lastly, uh, please subscribe. <laughs> please subscribe. Even, even though Instagram is on hold, um, everything else is still moving forward. Subscribe to um, our mailing list that's on the website, Frida's World, F-R-E-E-D-A-S World. Um, we're working on the new template for the newsletter. So that should be coming back out. You guys, you know, we'll have an opportunity to see what's coming up. You know, also catch a blast from the past, from some of our um, past guests, etc. And also follow us on social media. So like I said, Instagram is acting up today, but follow us on social media. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the actual podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, 
and everywhere else that you uh, can enjoy your podcast. We're really trying to continue the upward mobility and really get Frida's world out there. I thank you all who have sent me messages, text messages, emails, and even DMs with regards to um, the shows and you know what you've thought about the shows and how it's helped you. Um, so I definitely love that feedback. And I uh, implore <laughs> that you continue to send me that feedback because it's really um, your communication to me with respect to the different shows and topics that really keep me motivated to go on and produce more content. And I'm hoping that in the coming months, we'll be able to do a lot more with Frida's World. So Hopefully we'll be able to do some live episodes where I can actually mingle with you all in person, hoping to do some other events, some more um, speaking engagements and whatnot. So definitely, definitely continue the feedback. I totally enjoy it. Um, you can also send me an email at Rita, R-I-T-H-A at Frida'sWorld.com um, if you want to be a guest on the show. So with all that being said, we are on to the meat of the show. All right, everyone, I'm here with my very, very special friend, Jamie Bowles. Jamie, say hello. Hi. <laughs> so um, for those of you who have not been paying attention to Frida's World, I talk, I've talked about Jamie several times on this show, actually. And I think last week, uh, my highlight of the week had to do with being able to support you um, at the lung cancer walk last week. So your your, yes. your name has your name has come through the waves, the Frida's World waves, on a couple of occasions. <laughs> but for, I remember being, uh, I think, like Woman of the Week or something like yeah, that too. Yeah, so. you were. Yeah, Woman of the Month, I believe. I believe it was our oh, yeah. Frida. Yes, our Frida Woman of the Month. Um, it was a couple of months ago, actually. Um, but for those people who are tuning in, who are just like, I can't keep up with all of this. <laughs> I just, I, I am a new follower. Jamie, tell us who you are and a little bit about what you do. Sure. So uh, like you mentioned earlier, my name is Jamie Bowles. I am the owner and founder of WJMS Radio, Radio Reimagined, which is an online radio station that tries to highlight the underdog. You know, we try to spotlight entrepreneurs, business owners, uh, movers and shakers in the community that are making a difference right in your backyard that the regular media doesn't necessarily pay attention to because they're busy looking at, you know, other quote unquote trending topics. Um, so we try to give the spotlight to those folks who are actually making a difference in your life without you may not even knowing it. Um, I also work full time at the New Victory Theater in Times Square out here in New York City. Um, I am a active lung cancer warrior right now. Um, I am engaged and planning a wedding and I am an avid kickboxer uh, slash snack junkie. <laughs> However, that um, and yeah, I'm just, you know, regular, you know, around the way girl, basically, for lack of a better term. All right. <laughs> so yeah, so WJMS radio is where so when so when I talk about according to RP, my other platform, that's where uh, it's it's I guess it's held it's hosted on WJMS radio, which is owned and operated by Jamie Bowles, Madam CEO. <laughs> So, call me Jam though. Everyone calls me Jam. That's my my yes. DJ name, my radio name. That's so. right, just Jams, Jams. Yes. So Jams. <laughs> I I wanted to have you on the show today. One to kind of talk a little bit about your experience being a young professional woman of color 
who's been recently diagnosed because it hasn't even been a year yet with stage four lung cancer and how you find, you know, the will, how you find the energy to get to work, not just get to work, but to run a radio station and to be a kickboxer and to do all these other things that you're doing. Um, I always find that it's important, you know, because you never know who's listening to, you know, these um, podcasts. And I, you know, the demographics is young professional women of color. And, you know, we come in all shapes and sizes. We come with all sorts of issues. And so um, I, I always feel like it's great to have people who, you know, are kind of living, you know, real life and going through real things, talk about their experiences and how they're able to balance their real life and their issues with work. Definitely. Well, I guess I should start at the beginning, um, which is the diagnosis itself, uh, because a lot of people hear the word cancer and just assume sort of the worst. Um, And of course, you know, with with good reason. But um, I was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer in December of last year, Uh, came totally out of left field. I'm a non-smoker, never smoked in my life. uh, And I usually actually try to stay away from smokers. Um, and I have no history of cancer in my family and, you know, was otherwise a regular, active, healthy, you know, young black woman until that happened. Um, I started off with just a cough and, you know, some aches and pains that I really, it was kind of like a perfect storm because I just started to get into kickboxing and it was, it's, if you've ever done kickboxing, it's a very intense, high, you know, high cardio workout. Um, and it can take a toll on your body sometimes, you know, in terms of your muscles and things like that. And for me, that was like the most intense thing I'd ever done. So I was thinking that a lot of these aches and pains that I was having was to be attributed to the kickboxing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then I thought the cold and the cough and all that kind of stuff was just like, you know, some the doctors were telling me maybe it was asthma or allergies or whatever. And I was thinking, you know, as you get older, you know, your body kind of changes. And even though you didn't have it when you were younger, sometimes it develops. Um, it's not rare. It's not like rare for asthma or allergies to develop later in life. So I just kind of was like, okay, so maybe this is, uh, you know, it's 30, here's 30, welcome to 30 type situation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, needless to say, I went into the hospital thinking I had maybe just had pneumonia and kind of let it run for too long. And, you know, the doctors came back and told me that, um, you know, they were going to admit me because I had a lot of fluid in my chest. And I was just like, what? You know, super confused. Um, long story short, six days in the hospital later, two and a half liters of fluid pulled from my chest. They came back to tell me that that fluid tested positive for cancer. Um, and that was when I got the diagnosis of stage four lung cancer. So there are many different forms of lung cancer, which I don't think a lot of people realize. It's not just, you know, boom, like it's, you know, not just like breast cancer or, you know, you know, pancreatic cancer, there are different branches of lung cancer, um, and they all affect different sort of things. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that being said, you know, I have ALK positive lung cancer, and ALK is just a mutation uh, signifier in my body that lets the doctors know, like, this is the cell or this is the DNA strand that's that's acting up, if you will. Um, So I am not in radiation, I am not in key, I'm not in actual chemotherapy, I'm taking uh, targeted chemotherapy, which is pills. So the one good thing about lung cancer and the, the branch of lung cancer that I have is that it's a very highly researched, highly um, treatable and manageable branch of cancer. So um, the cancer that I have, I actually take four pills in the morning and I take four pills at night. And that right now is the extent of my treatment. Um, and those pills basically are ALK inhibitors. They keep the cancer from spreading. Um, they keep the fluid from generating in my lungs, which was the persistent issue that I seem to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and they keep 
new tumors and stuff like that from developing as well as shrink the original or the main tumor that's on my left lung over near my heart. Um, so that is part of the reason why I can do the things that I do. If I was in chemo radiation and, and all that kind of stuff, I do not think I would be in kickboxing. I do not think I'd be doing a lot of the things that I'm doing because of the toll that radiation takes on your body. Mm-hmm. I am grateful and blessed that I have a branch of cancer that is very treatable, very manageable. And the medicine that I'm on pretty much allows me to kind of get back to normal within reason. Um, Now, that being said, as treatable and as manageable as this cancer branch is, it's also not curable and it's not um, one that typically goes into remission. So there is no cure for this and there really is no quote unquote remission. Um, I'm hoping and praying for a miracle. Um, There are some folks that have had that happen where it just, you know, the cancer is gone and, <laughs> you know, doctors are confused. And so listen. is the patient and just like, listen, speak it into existence. Yep. Um, so I, but I keep telling people that I'm like the exception to the rule and, you know, the same way doctors are confused as to how I came down with this, I'm going to be equally confusing when I get rid of it. And they're wondering how the hell did she do that? Um, Amen, so that's hallelujah. what I, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, you so. know what, <laughs> I will say that, you know, just being around you with, you know, I re- I remember when I went to the hospital, we thought it was just like some, you know, pneumonia or whatever. Yeah. And I was just getting to actually <laughs> even know you then. Yeah, I was like, yeah. I was just getting to I'm like, oh, you know, let me go and visit her in the hospital, see what's going on. You know, she'll be out in a couple of days. And then when all this happened, I was like, this is crazy. But it's also yeah. interesting because I feel like that's also kind of what like actually brought us closer together. Yeah. Uh, because I don't know if we would, I mean, like, we had, we were like in communication for months and had never like actually made the time to meet each other. (laughs) And I'm like, and that was the second time I think I had seen you in person was when you were in in the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it was kind of uh, crazy because I remember just being like, oh man, Rita's coming to visit me. That's interesting. Like it was just like, I had (laughs) the most motley crew of people that visited me that one day. And I was just like super beside myself and excited. I remember we, I had some of like, I was having a really tough time in the hospital those six days because it was not, it just wasn't a pleasant experience overall. And like, not that the hospital was bad. It's just the procedures that I was having done and the situation in general was just a pain in the ass, pardon Mm -hmm. my French. But, you know, I remember you guys being there and like the laughs and the the amount of fun that we had just watching like American, American Ninja. Ninja. <laughs> it, was like, it was such a relief to just like laugh and laugh so much that like you literally you guys made my stitches hurt that I like, literally <laughs> laughed myself into stitches like it was crazy. So I just remember that like really fondly and being like, damn, we had a really good laugh that day. Like that was really good for me. Oh, yeah, we really did. It was it was it was definitely good times up in that. And I was just like, you know, I mean, just to go back a little, I was like the hospital room. I'm like, are we in the capital i feel like i was in like the capital of the hunger games like it was just such I know, a... right? <laughs> <laughs> but either way i digress um but yeah i mean the one thing i can say that you know i definitely learned a lot about lung cancer also through you because in my mind and i'm sure as as you know other people when they hear uh, cancer like you said we always think about what, you know, I guess how the TV breaks it down, right? They, yeah. uh, you get cancer, then you have to go through, you know, radiation, chemo, you start to like become like, you know, a, a zombie. And then, you know, it's either you, you kick it, you go into remission, and then that's that. Uh, so I never knew that cancer could actually manifest in the way that it has with you. Especially like when I see you, I'm like, this girl looks healthier than me. like like the face is glowing i'm like you have extra pep in your step and i'm like 
<laughs> like you would never know like between the two of us like who's actually <laughs> going through something yeah yeah and it's it's one of those things where like i said it's every everybody's walk of cancer is different i was talking to a friend of mine today who just got diagnosed with l positive lung cancer and he's actually in radiation oh, wow. you know so it's it's crazy so i mean it's 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 different, you know, like it's not just a smoker's disease anymore. So there was a long time ago where people were like, oh, yeah, if you get lung cancer, it's because you smoked. And like when I tell people that I have lung cancer, like, oh, but you don't smoke. And I'm like, no, I have lungs. That's really the only requirement to have lung cancer is just just to have the lungs. Um, yeah. And I think it surprises people a lot, you know, to, especially when I tell them that I have it and they see what I'm doing. They see that I'm still working. They see that I was like trying to get back into kickboxing ASAP and like all this stuff like I feel like people think that I'm lying <laughs> like that. I, but I'm like, why would somebody lie like something Ed, about this? But like at the same time, I'm like, I think people look at me and they're like, what? It's just <laughs> like, not. Yeah, it's not. It doesn't. It doesn't. It, I mean, that's something obviously, you know, you wouldn't expect anybody to lie about. But when you yeah. when somebody looks at you, there's no way that they would ever even like closely imagine that you even had a cold. Yeah. You know, um, but with that being said, you know, as you stated earlier, you know, it's, it, it is, it is a disease that, that, that you have, you know, you're a cancer warrior, you're going, you're still having to take medications, you're still having to, you know, live in a particular way to kind of keep yourself healthy. Now, how does that, I mean, I would assume, you know, the up and down, you know, the hustle and bustle kind of gets you at times. Yeah, I mean, it gets to anybody. I mean, healthy or non-healthy. Um, it's it's one of those things where before the diagnosis, I would just go until I couldn't go anymore. And then I would just go to sleep. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like I would just, you you know, we all kind of, I, I use this as an, a metaphor early on when I first got my diagnosis. It's one of those things where like, you know, you run, you run your body like you do your car, you know, and you drive, you hop in the car, you slam the doors, you throw stuff on the, the dashboard, you put stuff in the seat, you throw stuff in the back, you know, you see lights pop up on, on the, on the dashboard. You're like, ah, I'll get gas later. Ah, I'll ignore that for now. Ah, everything's fine. Just, you know, a couple more miles until I get to where I'm going. Mm -hmm. You know, we kind of like, you know, mostly run our bodies the same way. You know, we just, we ignore the headaches, we ignore the symptoms, we ignore the aches and the pains, and we just keep moving forward. Um, and the one thing that this diagnosis has given me is this very, very, I guess, well, not like just wealth of knowledge of how I'm physically doing, um, at any given time. And I listen to what my body's telling me. If I'm tired, then I sit down and I rest. If I'm winded, then I stop and I breathe. Um, you know, if it's a, if it's a bad lung day, I can tell when it's going to be a bad lung day. And what I mean by that is, um, I'm typically at any given day, I'm operating at one and a half lung capacity. Mm -hmm. Um, so when I first had this situation, I was doing like I was I was insane. Like when the doctors told me that I had stage four lung cancer and I had two and a half liters of fluid in my chest, I had just gotten back from Vegas and I was hiking in the Grand Canyon. Um, mm -hmm. And I was like, what? Like, and I mean, yes, well, it was difficult because it was definitely some times where I was getting winded because it's much thinner atmosphere and stuff up there. Um, like, I didn't know, you know, and I just was kind of going on about my business and like just making concessions in life. Like, OK, well, my back hurts sometimes. So let me sit a different way or make sure I don't stand too long here. But, um, you know, it was one of those things where now having this diagnosis and realizing what that means, I am very acutely aware of the condition of my body at any given time. Am mm -hmm. I tired? Am I hungry? Am I, you know, is my are my lungs feeling like a little bit strained? Like even today I, I was working out with a personal trainer and 
you know, we did this one workout um, on a rowing machine. And it's if you've ever seen it before, it's like you you're simulating being in a in a boat where you're rowing. Um, and he had me do that for a minute and he was like, you know, go faster, go faster. And he knows what he knows about my diagnosis. I make sure I tell my trainers about my diagnosis. So they're not thinking, oh, you're just lazy. Stop being lazy. Like, listen, I have like, look, (laughs) relax. Um, so I was doing that, that one exercise. And I just remember I stood up after I was done and I was like, okay, I'm like, today's, today's not a good lung day because I was having difficulty catching my breath after doing that, you know? So I am very much aware of of the condition of my body. The hustle and bustle does take a lot out of me, um, but it's it's one of those things now where I pay attention and it's like I, I stop what I'm doing and take a mental inventory of how I'm feeling and what's going on, and I adjust my behaviors, I adjust my activities accordingly. Okay. Now with work, how does that? How do you? I guess how do you? work like how do you deal with the work environment especially with what's going on I mean again a lot of people don't understand the process they don't understand you know what it you know what all goes into it in terms of like having it you know go to doctor's appointments if there are days that you really you know can't you know commute into work like what Mm -hmm. type of uh, accommodations in a sense um are available for people who, you know, who are going through, you know, um, ailments in the way that you are. So, you know, it's not like, not like the typical, I'm not feeling well today, so I'm just going to call out sick, but like you have a legitimate, you know, um, you know, disease that I would assume requires a lot of visits to the doctor, specialists and whatnot. Um, you know, what conversations are you having with your supervisors and bosses to kind of make, uh, the work setting bearable for you? So I will start this by saying I have like the best job in the world. Um, My job has been so, so over the moon supportive of anything that I've needed this entire time. And it was like to the point where I think my boss came and visited me in the hospital when I I was in the hospital. Yeah, like I'm pretty sure he came by and he just, you know, popped in and said hello and just wanted to check on me. And one of my coworkers did too. Um, A couple of my coworkers actually did. And it was just like, it's just a very, very supportive work environment, which I don't think that I would have gotten in some of these other places that I've worked before. Um, But that being said, when I first told them what was going on with me, like I first told them that I was going to be in the hospital, you know, they were like, I was, cause I was like at first when they were like, oh, we're admitting you. And I was like, what? Like, what do you mean you're admitting me? I thought this like, cause when I first got, when I first went to the hospital or when I first found out that I had the fluid in my chest, it was a couple days before I got admitted because I had stuff going on. I had a station event and like Frank was leaving and there was just a lot of things happening right at that same time that I was like, I cannot go into the hospital right this moment. I'm like, whatever this is needs to wait mm-hmm. two or three more days until I can settle things down and get things in order. And then I can come in and, and take care of whatever this is. So Of course, being millennials and being the people that we are nowadays, I Googled it. I was like, oh, I have fluid in my chest. Okay, what are they going to (laughs) do? So the the Google was like, oh, they're going to like, you know, put a needle in your chest and syringe out the fluid. And I'm like, that sounds super painful and really crappy. But it sounds like I'll probably be back to work on Wednesday with no big deal. Like, you know, (laughs) I remember you saying that, like, yeah, I'll be back to work. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, oh, I was going to go to the movies tomorrow. Like, what are you talking about? They're like, no, girl, you're going to be in the hospital for at least 72 hours. We need to drain this fluid out of your chest and like monitor. I was like, what? Because I had never even been in the overnight in the hospital before. So for me, this was all new. Um, but telling my, my job, that was, that was really hard. Actually, that was a really difficult conversation to have because it's like, so often, like we separate business from, from personal life. Mm -hmm. Um, and to have to go to your bosses and sit down with them and tell them something so extremely personal about yourself. It really was weird. Like it was just a very weird and, and 
difficult conversation to have. Now, not difficult because they were like, oh my God, but it was difficult like as a person to just reveal that part of your life to your to your job. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so I say all that to say that they were super supportive and, you know, they were giving me hugs and they were like, whatever you need, you know, let us know, um, you know, and that the first beginning stages of this diagnosis were very, very hard, like really hard um, because I was continuously getting lung drains. I went through the month long process of getting my eggs frozen, which yeah. if anybody's ever been through that process, it's awful. Um so that was literally coming into work. Like I had, I they allowed me to switch my schedule to accommodate my doctor's appointments, which were by and large in the city because I was treating at um, NYU Langone, which mm-hmm. is in the city. So for me, I was like, let me. I was working Wednesday through Sunday at the time. I ended up switching my schedule to be Monday through Friday because my appointments were all throughout the week. Yeah. And for me, I'm like, if I'm on days off, it doesn't make sense for me to have to traipse myself all the way into the city to go to these appointments. I might as well go to work. Um, so they like allowed me to change my work schedule um, when I was getting my lungs drained because I had a catheter in for about three months, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, was a nurse that came to the house and she would come and do lung drains every Monday, Wednesday and Friday for me. Um, when those were first starting, by and large, I was out for it. Like it was they were letting me work from home for most of those days because there were times where like when I first got the catheter in, I couldn't move. Mm-hmm. I was in so much pain where it was like, and yeah, they're giving you painkillers, but you don't want to, I was very, I'm very careful about taking painkillers because yeah. like opioid addiction and stuff like that is a real thing. So I was very careful about taking pain medication. And I was like, if I don't need to take it, then I'm going to just grin and I'm just going to get through it without it because I don't want to number one, it's binding. So it really ruins your digestive system. Number mm-hmm. two, it's addictive. And number three, you know, it's just you just don't want to be hopped up on painkillers all the time. So um, those days when I would get my lungs drained and they were bad days, I was able to email them and just say, hey, I'm I'm going to need to work from home today or I'm going to need to work a half day today while I you know, get myself together. And it was never an issue Um, when I got the catheter out. And as things got to be a little bit better, you know, because I started going to kickboxing before getting my lungs drained Mm -hmm. (laughs) every week, which is even (laughs) easier. so I would get up at five in the morning, go to kickboxing, come home, get my lung drained and then, you know, get ready and go to work. <laughs> it's like kind of insane to say. But um, in any case, once I got the catheter out and all that stuff sort of slowed down, they still were very flexible. They're like, you know, if you have doctor's appointments, um, you know, let us know, just put them on the calendar and just leave when you need to. And, you know, let us know what's going on. And I was like, all right. So that's literally um, how it's been. And thankfully, I have a very talented and totally competent staff that can Mm -hmm. cover for me in my absence. Um, You know, some of this stuff kind of runs itself in my absence, which is great. So a lot of this stuff is on autopilot, you know, just based on the processes we put in place for things. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's been kind of, it's been an easy transition in terms of work. Like I will say in this entire situation of this diagnosis, the one thing I've never had to worry about is my job or my insurance. And for that, I am like super grateful because it's just been I have other things to stress about and worry about. And to know that, like, I don't need to worry about my nine to five was a big thing for me. So they've been absolutely wonderful throughout this entire situation. Yeah, that that definitely is like a blessing because I can imagine, you know, working in an environment that's not as flexible, like especially some of these Mm -hmm. corporate spaces where mm-hmm. you know you're going through stuff and it's like well you don't have no sick days <laughs> and so yeah, you're forced exactly. to you know you're forced to i guess not get paid if you have to go to the doctor now for yeah. people who do i mean since you know you've your your job experience obviously is a lot different from um a lot of people unfortunately because of just the way the system is 
But what would your advice be to somebody who is diagnosed with, you know, a a um, serious disease such as lung cancer? Brett had a couple of people um, last year who were on the show that talked about breast cancer, which again seems to just be um, running rampant within our young professional women you know, demographic. Mm-hmm. And so more and more, I find at least that more and more young professional women are being diagnosed with serious diseases, but because of, you know, the way life is, they can't afford to stay home and, you know, fight it from home. They have to go to work because they have to, uh, you know, pay for the medication. They have to, you know, pay for their rent. Like they have to continue to live and they can't do so without working. What would um, your observations and research, I guess, what what's some advice that you could give to somebody who might be working in a more stringent environment? Like what what are some, I guess, rights? What are some um, accommodations that they could seek at their workplace? I mean, I would just say for anybody in general, when you sign on to a job and they give you that employee handbook, read it. Go through that section called FMLA, go through that section called paid time off, read through that section and get very familiar with it, because that's going to let you know what a company can and cannot do for you in terms of accommodations. Mm -hmm. Um, When it comes to getting a diagnosis like this, I think, honestly, the best thing you can do is just be straight up with your employer and, and just let them know, like, you know, don't go in there and pretend to be Superman, don't go in there or Superwoman. Um, don't go in there and, you know, pretend to have everything just under control and good to go. Let them know where you are and what's going on and see where they can meet you. Um, because a lot of times employers, if you go to an employer and you look like you got everything under control and everything's fine, then they're going to be a little bit less, you know, willing to go that extra mile to make sure that you're okay. If you go to them and say, listen, I'm not okay. Like I have this thing going on with me. I don't really know where I stand in terms of like, you know, this, that, and the third, if you let them know what's happening a lot of times, and if you work for a decent employer, most of them will take the time out to co or at least, you know, refer you to HR. So you can go over what your options are in terms of maybe you need a flexible schedule. Maybe you need some FMLA time. Maybe you can, you know, work a different, um, you know, different hours or different days just to accommodate your doctor's appointments. But I would just say, be straight up with your employer um, from the, from the, the gate, you know, don't try to hide it or go through it by yourself. Just be upfront with them and let them know what's going on. Because a lot of times too, they're going to be a little bit more lenient. You know, if it's like, oh, I got to take this day off, you know, well, you're out of sick time, but it's a, it's a doctor's appointment for, you know, what's going on with me. Okay. Then go ahead and, you know, we'll work something out. You know, if you're upfront with them and you let them know what's going on rather than just, you know, hiding it or pretending like everything is cool or just saying, I'll use my sick time. I think that you'll get a lot further and you'll have a lot more, Um, just flexibility and a lot more peace of mind knowing that your employer knows what's going on with you so that there's a little bit of coverage for you if there's ever any issue with attendance or, you know, anything like that. I think that's definitely a great point because I find that a lot of times people, you know, especially when they feel like they're, I don't know, you know, I guess, I don't, know, I don't want to say like chopping block, but when they feel like it's compromised in a sense, their first reaction is to, you know, volunteer themselves for everything and to kind of be that superwoman and to and to take on more than they are able to actually take in order to kind of like show that they're still a valuable you know asset to the company they're still a valuable employee um Mm -hmm. and 
you know, I had a guest that was on the show a couple, uh, maybe couple, several months ago that talked about, you know, dealing with uh, lupus um, and, you know, having to go to work and, you know, some of the things that she was able to, you know, I guess, get in terms of accommodations and some conversations that she had with her supervisors just to kind of make the environment more comfortable for her. Um, you know, cause a lot of times we go in there and we end up making it worse for ourselves because we're trying to show that, no, I, I'm, I'm still valuable. I can, I can still be here. You know, yeah. they don't, they don't want that pity party. Like, oh, you know, I'm not going to, you know, get certain assignments or I'm not going to get certain work because, you know, everybody thinks that, well, since I'm sick that, you know, I need to be coddled, but that's not really the point. The point is to get what you deserve and what, you know, what you're, I guess, uh, you know, what you're supposed to get in the sense of accommodations and whatnot, if you are, you know, going through some sort of what they would consider disability. Yeah. And at the end of the day, too, it covers your butt, because if they're like, oh, well, your attendance is crap, you're fired. And you never told them or you never went to them and said, I have this pre-existing medical condition that I'm dealing with. Well, now you just made your life so much more difficult because mm-hmm. it's like, OK, well, now they need to see doctor's notes. They need to see all these things. And then it's like, OK, well, we have to, re- you know, revoke the term. And it's it's a lot of madness. So it's like if you're upfront with your employer ahead of time, it covers you in terms of job security and making sure that, you know, you have just because you have this condition um, it doesn't mean that they can, you know, it, it just means that they can't look at your attendance um, with the same amount of scrutiny as they would for a regular employee, because you have these special accommodations in place. Um, and then in terms of just getting the accommodations, you know, with us trying to break our backs to, to do the most that we possibly can, you got to remember that you're no good to anybody, including your job, if you're dead or you're sick or you're unable to work. Mm -hmm. So if, it's something as simple as making a little accommodation for you that makes it easier for you to perform your job and to prove your worth as an employee, then it's worth you going to your boss or to your employer and say, listen, I really need you to to make this accommodation for me because of X, Y, and Z. Um, you know, and then from there, once they make that accommodation, then you take that and you run with it and you make sure that, you know, you, you still are the, the reputable employee that you're, you're setting out to be, you know, but it's like, don't try to lie and, and fit in, um, at, at your own expense. Like it's just not going to do any good for you. Exactly. And I always hear, you know, the saying that, you know, if you die today, your position will be posted tomorrow. Yep, exactly. (laughs) You know, they might, they might send some flowers to, you know, the funeral home, but your position will be posted the next day because at the end of the day, it's a business. So, you know, although certain, you know, settings, you know, your job setting, you know, people are, people are caring and whatnot, but at the end of the day, it's still a business and they're going to have to do what they have to do regardless. So you have to really be the one to kind of step in and advocate for yourself and take care of yourself, especially in the workplace. Yep, definitely. Okay. Well, I guess one thing I wanted to ask, I mean, since you, um, you know, we talked about your, your workspace, like, let's talk about the radio station a little bit and how, you know, how does all that kind of play into the grand scheme of things? Because we're talking about not overworking ourselves. We're talking about, you know, making sure that we're able to, you know, do what it is that we can. But the radio station, like, how does that play in? Some people would say, well, this is an extracurricular activity that you have going on here. Like, why are you doing, you know, extra? You know, why aren't we just preserving whatever energy that we have? And so what would you, you know, what's your take on that? So the big thing that they talk about with, you know, cancer treatment and, you know, in general with any diagnosis is that your state of mind is 
sometimes more important than your diet, sometimes more important than, you know, the things that you're doing, like just how you feel overall and how you make yourself feel overall is, is super important. Um, so you have to do the things that make you happy. And for me, the radio station makes me happy. Yes, it's work, but it's one of those things where it's like, it's work, but I see, you know, the bigger picture. I see where I'm going with this. I see where this can take me. And so for me, it doesn't necessarily feel like work. It feels like like a passion project. And it's something that kind of can sometimes breathe life into me a little bit, um, you know, more so than just working at my regular job or doing X, Y and Z. It's like if you have something that you're building or you have something that you're really working on and you're committed to seeing it through to the end and you're committed to that bigger picture that you see, then that motivates you and that pushes you forward to to do the things that you need to do to make that happen. Am I tired? Yes, I'm tired. But it is it just means time management for me is critical, you know, because it's like, yes, I work a nine to five, but I still need to run this five to nine because like, I can't work 40 hours, um, helping somebody else realize their dream while putting mine on the back burner. So I still need to manage to dedicate the time to this radio station that I would normally dedicate. But I also need to put that into the perspective of doctor's appointments. I need to put that in the perspective of getting the appropriate amount of rest that I need. Um, so it really comes down to time management and knowing when to ask for help and knowing when to accept that help as well. Um, and then it also comes down to saying no, which is something that I've gotten mm -hmm. a lot better at. You know, before I was like, you know, trying to be everything for everybody and, you know, much to your detriment, that doesn't always do you very well, you know, because it's like you're trying to be here. You're trying to be there. Oh, can you broadcast from this event? Oh, can you do this? Can you do that? And there's sometimes where I'm like, no, I'm sorry. You know, I'm going to have to miss this one. I have to miss. I have to sit this one out. I can't show up to this right now. You know, like I've been much more able to say no because I have to maintain a certain level of rest for myself and not stretching myself too thin. Um, so for me, it's one of those things where like, yes, the radio station is in. It could be viewed as an extracurricular to some, but it's much, much more than that to me. And for me, that's all that matters. And that's all that I need to move forward with it. And I think it's really important that you stated that because a lot of times, like, you know, even with myself, I have a million things going on or whatever the case is, but that mental state that, you know, that, that where you are mentally, I think is, is, is really important. Just like you said, it's just as important, if not more important sometimes than, you know, the exercise, the diet and the other things that, that people do. And I think that uh, a lot of times people fail to realize that at the end of the day, you know, we're all individuals that have interests that have aspirations and that have goals and that, you know, when you cut everything out, except for like the necessities such as work, just to be able to, you know, quote unquote, I guess, deal or address properly, you know, your diagnosis or your, your disease, or your ailment, it kind of takes away, you know, it takes a lot from you as a person, right? Yeah. I feel like it puts you in an even more negative space than you know than you know than you already were in in a sense and so I always like to like touch on that because sometimes people are always so quick to say well you know you can't be that sick or you can't be that tired if you have all these extra things what they consider extra things going on but they don't understand that it's those things that are actually giving you like that joie de vivre in a, in a sense like that that you know that um desire to live the desire to move on desire to push forward yeah, exactly. It's like one of my doctors, when I first got the diagnosis, they were talking about how I needed to switch my diet. And they were like, you know, you should really consider switching to a, a plant based diet and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, for me, if you guys know me, I love meat, like I'm a carnivore, like I love steak, I love hamburgers, I love all that kind of stuff. So 
to hear switching to an all plant-based diet for me, that's a 180 degree turn from what I'm used to eating. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I really, really struggled with that. And I had a really hard time with that. And I sat down with a second opinion doctor and I was just going over a bunch of the different things that the first doctor had told me. And he stopped me when I said, you know, the plant-based diet. And he was like, because he saw the, the, the questions I had with it and how much that I was struggling with it. And he was like, listen, he's like, I tell this to all of my patients, you know, who are battling cancer. If you can do things to make yourself still feel happy, that goes a lot further than eating a salad, you know? So he was like, if you not, if you're craving a cheeseburger and you really just want a cheeseburger and you really don't want to have a salad and a cheeseburger is what you, what you just need at that time, he's like, then have the cheeseburger. You know, because it's if it's going to mean that it's going to make you happy and it's going to make you feel fulfilled. He's like, that goes a lot further than that one salad that you were going to eat. And that kind of stuck with me because it was like, you know, it doesn't have to be something where it's like, you know, it, it, what's the point of of living if you're not living? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, what's the point of being alive if you're not living? So if I'm denying myself every single thing ever, you know, am I really actually living? You know, it, it, I can't have any, you know, I can't have a single candy bar. I can't have a single cheeseburger. You know what I mean? Like it, it comes down to, you know, time management, like I said, but it's also moderation. It's, it's now, you know, living a life of excess has brought you to this point or whatever. And now it's time to live with a little bit of moderation, you know? So, okay, no, you can't have a candy bar every single day. Can you have one occasionally? Yes. No, you shouldn't have a cheeseburger every single day. Can you have one occasionally? Yes. You know what I mean? So by and large, you know, change your diet to be better um, and do things that are going to make you better. But don't, you know, burden yourself off from, or, or quoting yourself off from every single thing that you love, you know, if you can do it within moderation. Yeah, I, you know, the cheeseburger analogy. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like whoever that doctor is is speaking my language because there yeah. are days where I'm like, you know, I guess you could apply that, you know, to anything in life. Like you said, you know, I feel like there are some days where eating that cheeseburger is like gives me all the serotonin in the world. Yeah. You know what and I that's, mean? That's important. You know, he's like, you know, and if it's going to be one of those things where like you just want a cheeseburger and having a salad is going to give you so much moaning and aches and pains for the rest of the day and so much longing and so much sadness about it. He's like, then just have the cheeseburger. And yeah. I just felt like at that time I was like, he felt like a more human human doctor to me because it seemed like he understood the way that this thing works and the way that the human mind works and the way that the human psyche works. You know, it's like if, if it's just as simple as giving yourself a cheeseburger, just have a cheeseburger then, you know, like, <laughs> like oh, okay. And it was like, I was like, Oh, okay. That makes sense. You know what I mean? And it's kind of been something that I've, I've sort of, um, made a great balance with myself with, you know, it's like, okay, I'll have this today, but you know, that's it. Like, I'm not going to have pizza every day. You know, I'm going to have a slice of pizza today because I want it. And it's what it is, you know? So. Well, I mean, you're doing more than me. You're out there kickboxing as well, too. So you're burning (laughs) off the calories. And you're burning off, you're burning off that cheeseburger and the pizza. Meanwhile, (laughs) meanwhile in Brooklyn. (laughs) I'm trying real hard. I'm trying, girl. (laughs) So I guess the next thing I always want to, you know, touch on is like, what's next? You know, you, I know you have the radio station. I know that, you know, you're working hard at, at your job and you stated earlier that you're engaged. You even name dropped at one point. I did? <laughs> you, you dropped his name. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, it's not really a secret. Everybody yeah, I know, I know, I know. Those Bay is. <laughs> I know, I know. But, um, I mean, but what's, what's next? You're planning your wedding. You know, what, what else do, do we have in store? 
So one of the big things is that I am now on the leadership committee for the Lung Cancer Research Foundation. Okay. Um, I My friend, Nicole, actually, she's the one that introduced me to them. And I actually sent her a thank you message the other day because I feel like she kind of changed my life in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's she sent me this invite and she said, hey, you know, the Lung Cancer Research Foundation is having this brunch, um, you know, in May or whatever date it was. I think it was like May 17th or something. And she's like, you know, you should come out and attend. And I was like, at that time. Before that, I had never gone to any support groups. I had never gone and sat with anybody, you know, and talked to anybody who has it or anything like that. I'd never surrounded myself with people who understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and going to that breakfast was my first sort of, for lack of a better term, it was my first like coming out. Okay. <laughs> <if you will. laughs> um, and sort of like stepping into it and being like, okay, hey, here I am. I have this. Like my friends and my family know now it's time to find like support groups and people that I can rally around and rally with to make myself feel better. And that was like my first sort of um, venture into that. And I, I, the first person I met at that brunch was a, a woman who has the same thing as me. Her story is similar to mine. You know, she's got two beautiful children and she's living her life. And I just remember like saying to her, like, oh, my gosh, it's so nice to meet you. You know, I was like, I know if I said to you that it's a bad lung day, you would nod and know exactly what I'm talking about. And mm-hmm. she's like, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, and I just remember this feeling I had when I walked in that room and when I was talking to people and when I realized that I was surrounded by just folks, I I just wasn't alone. You know, it just, it felt, I felt lifted up. Like you guys, as my friends and family lift me up a lot and I appreciate that, (laughs) but the pedestal that these folks pushed me up to and helped me climb up to, if you will, was like absolutely priceless because I just felt like, you know, on some level, you feel like your friends and family are supposed to rally around you and make you feel better. Yeah. But to have a group of strangers who are kind of going through the same thing, kind of rally around you and boost you up as well. That was really important to me because it just let me know, like, you're not by yourself. There's other people going through this who have the same, if not a similar story to you. Mm -hmm. Um, And it really it really changed a lot of things for me. So at that point, I kind of dived into the Lung Cancer Research Foundation. And since then, I've spoken at several different events for them, including the Free to Breathe walkout in Brooklyn. Um, and I, they consistently <laughs> asked me to tell my story. Um, I think it's because it's relatable, <laughs> Yeah. but you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, they tell me, ask me to tell my story in different variations. So like I've told, I've told a story from a fundraising aspect. Mm-hmm. I told a story from, um, like a medicine aspect and stuff like that. And then I told a story from a motivational aspect for the walk. Um, but the next thing for me is, is the leadership committee. So I've been involved in a lot of their events now and I'm kind of getting my face out there a lot more. And I was on buses down in Philly, which was yep. crazy. So they, <laughs> they made me the face of their education campaign. Um, you know, if you have lungs.org, which was really cool. So my face was circulating around Philadelphia on some SEPTA buses and trains for a little while there. Um, and really for me, it's just getting the education. Like you said earlier in the show, you know, you learn different things about lung cancer just from being around me and just from my story. Um, I'm trying to do that to everybody or for everybody, you know, educate and let people know that not just lung cancer, but lots of cancers exist in different forms. And you need mm-hmm. to pay attention to what your body is telling you. And you need to advocate for yourself as well, because especially for us people of color in a doctor's office, they don't always advocate for us. So you really have to step up and advocate for yourself. If there's a test that you want or you don't feel like you're getting the level of care that you need or deserve, you have to be the one to step up and say, no, I need this x-ray. I want this CAT scan. I want this PET scan or whatever, and be the one to fight for it because they're not going to fight for you. Um, yeah, I definitely yeah. agree with that. Um, the advocacy part, I feel like that's something for whatever reason we lack, even as you know, young professional women, you know, educated women, 
we tend to still, when it comes to the self-care aspect and the paying attention to ourselves aspect, we tend to be lacking in that. I mean, I know even like for myself, like last week, you know, I was like in, in the ER on like Monday and it took me a lot to even like get myself there. I was just like, oh, this little pain here, you know what? I'm going to, you know, I don't want to miss another day of, I don't want to miss a day of work because I didn't even miss a day like on Friday when I wasn't feeling well, but I didn't want to miss any days of work. I was like, I don't want to miss any days of work. I don't really have any sick time. I don't really want to yeah. deal with all of this. And I was just going to let it go. But then it was something else that triggered and I was like, you know what? Mm -mm. I need to take care of myself. My job's going to have to figure it out. Yep. And you know, I'm glad that I did go because if I didn't like, who knows what would have happened. And I think that that's, that's a front where, you know, we're all busy and we all want to, you know, be the best at what we do. We all want to climb, you know, climb to the top of the food chain. We all want the promotions and everything that comes with, you know, work, life, whatever. But at the expense of like your health, you only have like the one body. You know, we haven't gotten to the point where <laughs> these movies, you know, where you can like get another sleeve. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> so we have to take care of ourselves. But I think it's really important, like you said, that you have to pay attention to the little signs, even if it's nothing, at least hear that it's nothing instead of assuming that it's nothing. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of what's next, it's just, Digging in with the Lung Cancer Research Foundation, um, really going to their events and helping them out. I think um, speaking at another event on December 7th, I have several events in between then. Um, I'm also working on trying to leverage that exposure that I'm getting for myself um, and for my diagnosis to also include the radio station so mm -hmm. that I can further our messages as well, because we have some important things that we're trying to tell folks also. Mm -hmm. um, you know, planning the wedding, of course, and just uh, continuing to to be alive. <laughs> really? That's it. Really? Well, next month is lung cancer awareness month, correct? Yes. Yes. yes and so in terms of the awareness, I know you talk about, you know, education, obviously sharing your story is part of the awareness as well, but obviously everything, um, in this world at least works with money. And yes. so, you know, for people who are tuning in or just like, you know what, I am compelled to donate. I'm compelled to, you know, be a part of this movement. Like how can somebody who's a, you know, cancer, I guess, uh, survivor supporter, cancer, uh, warrior <laughs> supporter, how can we, um, you know, how can we assist? What can we do? Sure. Um, so, well, for starters, it is expensive. I didn't mention that at all on this show. But yeah, the medication that I'm on is the latest and greatest medication for what I have right now for L positive lung cancer. And that is 10 grand a month. Um, mm. Thankfully, like I said, my job is phenomenal and my copay is zero for that. But if something happens to me and I progress on this medication, there's nothing necessarily for me to jump to at this point, at least nothing that's been approved by the FDA. Um, so I, I do walk on a little bit of eggshells in terms of my appointments because you're always just a little worried that they're going to see something new on the scan. And then it's like, oh, all mm -hmm. right, what's, next? what's plan B? Um, but that being said, I am I do have a GoFundMe that I had started so that I would have a little bit of a savings put together just in case something happens and I either can't work anymore um, or you know lose my insurance and so on and so forth. Or if I start to hit these hefty copays. Um, so that GoFundMe is just uh, just GoFundMe.com slash help jams fight. 
Um, and if you're interested in funding the Lung Cancer Research Foundation, which is also super important, and I push for that as hard as I do my GoFundMe, um, you can check out, uh, I guess if you can go to ifyouhavelungs.org, um, which is their education site, and there will be places on there that you can donate. Um, but basically, any money that you send to them goes straight to scientists so they can start to research and, and pull together what the next line of defense for people like me is going to be. So your funding either goes to me and helping me have a savings, or it's going to go to help me find my next line of medication. And for either one of those two things, I am super grateful, and I appreciate all you guys for it. All right, cool. And that's really important, the piece about the lung cancer research, because a lot of times people are very... Um, you know, hesitant to donate to, yeah. uh, you know, associations and research foundations because we believe that most of the money is going towards overhead as opposed to the actual research. So yeah. it is important that we know that if you do donate to the lung cancer research, um, foundation, that the money is going straight to scientists, um, to actually find, you know, a cure, find different medications that can help um, those who are afflicted with this disease live longer, more meaningful lives. Yes, exactly. Yes. So, Jamie, I wanted to thank you personally again for taking the time to be on the show and to talk about, um, you know, your experience um, with lung cancer. And I always love the phrase that you use that, you know, Jamie has cancer, but cancer does not have Jamie. Yes, I love um, <laughs> that on a shirt or something. <laughs> yes, definitely. But I think, um, I guess for me, the takeaway from today's episode is just more so the fact that, you know, here is somebody who is really, you know, going through it, you know, at least, you know, through the world's eyes, you know, not many people would be able to take a diagnosis and to be able to live in the manner that you're living with such positivity and just approaching, you know, every day, you know, with such a positive energy in a positive light. And I know like for me, I've talked in the show several times that, you know, sometimes I, you know, I struggle with just trying to be positive just on a regular day mm -hmm. and how much, you know, being in the right mindset definitely affects the way you, you think you feel and you move. And so yeah. I think that, you know, just by listening to your story, a lot of people will be motivated and inspired to, you know, either take a second look at, you know, um, their lives, take a second look at the different situations that they're going through and hopefully choose to approach life with, you know, this, uh, energetic positivity, you know, that you are in a sense, um, you know, projecting. Yes, yes. And it's, it's funny you say that I have so many friends and family members who are like, because of you, I'm going to the doctor to get this thing checked out, or I'm going to the, get this done, or I quit smoking. I have a couple of friends who actually quit smoking for me, Oh wow! Um, which for me, I'm like, don't do it for me. I'm like, do it for you. Cause that's going to be more, but like, I appreciate that a hundred percent, you know, but <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where, you know, if I can inspire people and change people in that way, then at least there's meaning to this. At least like, you know, doctors can't figure out how I got this, but at least I know that I'm making a meaning out of it. Like I got this so that I can educate people about how to, you know, listen to their bodies and pay more attention, you know, how to bring your friends and family closer together. Because honestly, you're right. Like we are closer because of this, but I'm also a lot closer to my family and other friends now because of it as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's strengthened and deepened a lot of different connections for me. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah. So yeah, I have cancer, but cancer does not have me and it's going to continue not to have me because I'm going to keep fighting. So there you have it. I feel like I can't follow that up. <laughs> I'm like, well, on that note, <laughs> on that note, 
Oh, man. Well, I mean, I really don't have anything else to say after that, except for thank you again for t- <laughs> thank you again for being on the show. And I mean, what is your Instagram handle? I mean, are you accepting Instagram followers? What is the WJMS handle? Can people slide up in your DMs? Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Oh, they yes. can't. <laughs> So, well, I mean, you can slide in my DMs for for business related reasons and things like that, but I'm not looking. I'm she, not thirst trapping nobody. Okay, so sliding. <laughs> so when I refer to sliding in DMs on this show, it's more so for you know if somebody is like, wow, you know, it's so inspiring. How I, I need to speak to her, like you know, I want to yes. talk to her, like that. By the way, slide yes. away in that case. <laughs> but she's not. So for disclaimer, the DM sliding on Frida's world is not according. It's not a courting mechanism. <laughs> So it's not a dating mechanism. It's for inspiration and just, you know, just, just connecting. <laughs> absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So in that case, yes, you may absolutely slide into my DMs. But my, well, thank you for having me on the show and for letting me share my story. Of course, I definitely appreciate it. Um, and my Instagram is at just underscore jams. Um, and I'm also WJMS radio on Instagram. And it's actually WJMS radio on all social media. So Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter. And if you want to follow me on Facebook or add me on Facebook, uh, my name is Jamie Jam on Facebook. So you can find me there. Um, But yeah, feel free to slide in my DMs if you want to chat. If you know somebody that was diagnosed, if you have questions for me, I'm always, you know, when people have questions, I love to answer questions and help people sort of piece things together. So feel free to, you know, ask away, um, you know, or just drop comments and, and leave messages. So I appreciate that. Or just feel free to pray for me. So I have so many people praying for me Amen. that I know God has to hear something because there's a whole lot going on down here. Listen. So. <laughs> <laughs> and for those of you who are wondering how to, you know, slide up in my DMs. <laughs> <laughs> and the same disclaimer goes for my DMs as well, too. I am only looking for a meaningful <laughs> connection, not not a dating match. Um, it's Frida's World, F-R-E-E-D-A-S underscore world. You can get me on, um, you can slide up in my DMs there. Um, you can send me an email if you want to be on the show or if you're interested in anything that you've heard today and you're like, oh man, you know, I, I kind of don't remember what her email, you know, or what her DM uh, address was or Instagram address was. So let me email Rita. You can send the email at R-I-T-H-A at Frida'sWorld.com. Um, quick disclaimer, again, apparently Frida's uh, world, I think, I, and I don't think I am apparently in Instagram jail. So <laughs> Instagram, Instagram, I'm locked up. Um, Frida's world is locked up temporarily because I was trying to do some spring cleaning and apparently Instagram thought that I was trying to do something else. I don't know. So if you do send me a DM and I do not respond in the next, I don't know, day or two, the way it's looking, I am not <laughs> ignoring you. <laughs> I am just in jail. If you do not see any posts about today's show, tomorrow, whatever the case is, um, it's because I'm in jail. And so hopefully I will be freed soon and we can resume. Free my girl. <laughs> <laughs> we can resume all normal activity once I am freed. <laughs> free my girl, Rita, yo. Uh, free, free Rita, free Frida. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh man! But this was definitely a great show. I, I can't tell you thank you enough. Obviously, I'll I'll probably be t- telling you thank you after we get off <laughs> we get offline. <laughs> um, but this is a wrap for this week's episode of Frida's World. And again, please subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Follow us on. Uh, Spotify, we're on Apple, we're on SoundCloud, we're on Stitcher, and pretty much anywhere you enjoy your podcast. And with that being said, we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Thank you. <laughs> it's Frida's World. What's it like? What's it like? Classy and ratchet at the same time. You clash it. Like you love church music, but you f*** with future. That's clash it. It's Frida's World.